Previously on Hound Radio's Arch Campbell podcast. You know, we've talked about this before, Arch. Overwhelmingly, ticket buyers are between the ages of 15 and 25 anyway, Mm -hmm. even before the pandemic. And then there is what, forgive me, Bob, I call the NPR crowd that shows up for... I, I assume this is a very flattering comment you're about to say. It is. I, I include myself. I include myself in that. But you see a lot of like NPR, you know, PBS tote bags among that crowd and, and, and a lot of gray hair. The Arch Campbell podcast featuring Arch, Lou Katz, and a cast of thousands begins now. Here we are with another chance to keep up with the ever-changing world of entertainment. Lou Katz, the legendary radio star and producer is in the booth twisting the knobs love those knobs <laughs> i hope that's all that's twisting in there that's all i promise and, uh, <laughs> two great guests today including the la-based entertainment reporter and dc native oliver jones hello oliver great to be with you arch all the way from los angeles And uh, as everyone knows, one of my favorite all-time guys, the WTOP radio entertainment reporter, Jason Fraley. Hello, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me back on, gentlemen. All the way in Frederick, Maryland. (laughs) (laughs) Not as far as LA. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start out this way. Let's start with you, Jason. What are you watching these days? Well, ironically enough, uh, the two things I'm watching the most are both on Apple TV Plus. Um, mm-hmm. uh, TV wise, you know, Ted Lasso, just I'm um, all the way caught up on season two now. There was a funny episode with his alter ego, Led Tasso. That was kind of funny. Hi, you little turd birds. Start touching your toes. They touch each other's toes. It felt good to flip a table to, you know, to, to you know, yell and scream a little bit. And, and uh, especially in that sort of heightened comedic way. Uh, but then what would also just being the guy being charged to, to do that, it was fun to have to play that sort of aggro coach intensity uh, without cursing because Ted doesn't curse. I've been enjoying that with my wife. Um, and then on the movie side, um, Apple TV just on Friday dropped uh, Coda, which was the Sundance champ, which mm-hmm. um, I absolutely loved. It might be my favorite movie of the year so far. So it's it's Coda. It stands for Child of Deaf Adults. And um, uh, played by a teenage actress, Amelia Jones. She's the only hearing person in her entire family. Um, so her deaf parents are played by Marley Matlin and Troy Kotzer. And um, I thought she just gave a, a really sweet, powerful bilingual performance because she has this, you know, spoken word and sign language at the same time. And not to mention a great singing voice that comes out uh, throughout the course, uh, thanks to her high school choir teacher, sort of a, I don't know, like a Mr. Holland's Opus sort of character. I've been coaching for Berkeley College of Music. I can help you get a scholarship. All that I need to get by. My wife and I were very charmed by it and uh, surprisingly emotional by the end. I, I can totally see how it dominated Sundance. And um, I-, I think it has an Oscar shot, too. Oliver, what are they saying out in L.A. about CODA? Well, it's interesting. It's one of those things that when those kind of Main, like well not not mainstreamy but they they have that uh sort of you know heart string plucking aspect mm-hmm. and it's a Sundance movie those are kind of at odds right because that's not necessarily cool uh and sometimes there's a tension that builds up especially when there's a lot of buzz coming out of the festival I mean it won it was a sort of the dominant 
uh, film out of the festival. So, you know, you're, you're hearing a lot of that, you know, play out, well, it was sweet, but, you know, kind of a kind of a thing. But I think that <laughs> that comes from, you know, come on, people, just cry again. You know, it's not going to hurt you. You know, I mean, it's good for you. <laughs> well, it sounds like it's picking up the baton from Sound of Metal, which a lot of people really admired. And it's interesting now that films about hearing and non-hearing people are uh, gaining traction. Yeah, and I will say, I mean, Sound of Metal is one of my favorite, maybe my favorite, one up there with uh, of my favorites last year. I will say that Sound of Metal used the sound design, which it won an Oscar for. It used it more um, as a technique throughout the whole thing, you know, the sound coming in and out. I will say Coda, without spoiling anything, Coda, let's say the director is more selective and picks that that just the right perfect moment to kind of drop the sound out. So mm -hmm. we'll, we'll leave it at that. Wow, wow. <laughs> Uh, and you're a fan of the, you watched the uh, Field of Dreams baseball game recently. Oh my God. Oh my God. I loved it. So <laughs> Anderson hits it in the air to right. Back at the wall and the White Sox win it. All right. How much time we got? <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. So uh, obviously it was the, I think it was like the highest rated regular season game in MLB yeah. for like 16 yeah. years. And one of my favorite games to sit down and watch for a while, because I mean, playoff baseball is awesome in October, but how often do you get this ginned up about a regular season game? But I, I loved everything about it. They had the old school jerseys, the old school scoreboard where you had to climb a ladder and manually change it. Um, but man, that pregame thing where Kevin Costner comes out onto the field. 30 years ago, 30. On the other side of that corn, we filmed a movie that stood the test of time tonight. Thanks to that enduring impact that that little movie had, it's allowed us to come here again. But now we're on a field that Major League Baseball made. The players magically come out of the corn to that James Horner music. I think yeah, we're underrating yeah. how important that James Horner music is. I mean, he did, he did Braveheart. He won his Oscars for for Titanic, which um, you know, say what you want about the melodrama of Celine Dion, but, like, but the actual music was beautiful. But um, man, but Field of Dreams, one of his most underrated scores. And when that kicked in, I was like, Dad, you want to have a catch? I was like crying all over again. <laughs> and um, uh, final point, uh, we interviewed Kevin Costner um, a couple years ago, but I brought it back yeah, on the podcast yeah. this week. And he actually, he said, um, he said he called Field of Dreams this this generation's uh, It's a Wonderful Life, sort of that five hanky movie that, that we all, uh, the magical realism thing that we all cry about. So I, I love the Field of Dreams game. Well, I think it's interesting to see something get into the culture and then be revived uh, in sport a generation later. Oliver, what do you think? It really speaks to the power that movies somewhat hold singularly to create our mythologies, right? To create this mm -hmm. sort of ideal aspect of, of the American experience. Because come on, you know, baseball came from Baltimore and Brooklyn and you know, uh, uh, baseball is an urban sport, right? It doesn't come from the cornfields, you know? But, but that's, a, that's, that's something that that movie sold you know, in a really effective and beautiful way. And then that, 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 that now we can borrow that myth making, right? Uh, for, for a baseball game was really exciting. And it's sort of like in all of this conversation that we're having right now about movies and box office and our movies dead and this and that, like the conversation we probably should be having is our movies making myths, right? Our movies alighting our imagination, you know, and, and sort of reshaping the, the ways that we see the world in some sort of 
you know, somewhat dreamlike way. And that, 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 that experience that we all had, you know, in a regular season baseball game, which is normally just for people whose, you know, grandfather carried around pocket knives, you know, uh, uh, suddenly became a national moment, uh, you know, and it was, it was very exciting to see those two paths cross and also very concerning about whether or not uh, movies are still in the business of like uh, making our dreams real. You know? yeah, and that's such a good point, Oliver. Um, what you just said about the urban versus the rural cornfields. Um, it re- when, when you said that, it reminded me of um, Ken Burns' great docuseries, um, Baseball, where there's this whole segment where he, t- he talks about that juxtaposition of, you know, Ebbets Field and, and the urban centers, but it's a pastoral game on dirt and grass yeah. dropped within that. And so almost like we would escape our hustle and bustle to go sit out and watch the grass. So, um, yeah, it's fascinating. And then when you're talking about the myth making um i hear your point i mean this movie came out in over 30 years ago uh, 1989 and nine it was a different you're right there you know this year we have these technical greats that the all four of us on here admire like a nomad land but are we losing sort of that magical myth making i mean field of dreams has three of the most romanticized nostalgic speeches ever by Ray Liotta as Shoeless Joe of, you know, the thrill of the grass on my feet, I can hold a glove to my face and smell it. Or, or Burt Lancaster's Moonlight Graham, you know, yeah. you know, I feel the tingle of, of the ball when it when you connect with the ball and wrap your arms around third base. And, and of course, the granddaddy of all of them, James Earl Jones. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard rebuilt and erased again i think that movie had a had a magic to it that are we missing are we missing in movies today the thing i worry about these days uh, particularly uh since the virus is uh the position of movies in our culture and i think it's changing and frankly i think it's uh reducing well you know it's interesting i still think that nothing does collective dreaming like movies TV does is it sort of organizes our daily lives, right? Like you were talking about yeah. Ted Lasso. I've noticed that since Ted Lasso's popularity, whenever you say like something just sort of kind to someone, like thank you for being you or something like that, it's like, oh, look who's pulling a Ted Lasso. <laughs> like you can't just be nice and just- Can't call you be it, nice? Yeah, yeah, it's just labeled now. It, uh, and, and that's sort of what uh, TV does. It kind of organizes our daily lives. You know, where where um, movies kind of organize our desires and our fears and our dreams, our nostalgia. Right. You know, in the case of this, you know, uh, our idealism of the past and and these sort of larger concepts, you know, and I don't know what's going to organize them if movies don't do that, because I, I, I don't think that that's the job of TV. Right. Uh, movies are meant to be larger than ourselves and TV is meant to be about the same size. You know, I have discovered something on TV that I am very excited about, and I am wondering if uh, anybody uh, of this group has seen it as well. And it's Reservation Dogs on Hulu. Anybody? I've heard amazing things about it, and I can't wait to watch it. It's four indigenous teenagers on a reservation in Oklahoma, and they want to get off the reservation, so they are thieves. And it is their world, and uh, seen through the eyes of the uh, lead character, Bear, who is uh, the son of a, of a single mother. And it's, it's hilarious, 
not in a punchline kind of way, but in showing this, this world, which evidently really has the ring of truth, several uh, cultural experts are saying they're, they're nailing it. And their dream is to steal enough money so they can leave uh, the reservation and move to California. You're good thieves, best in town. Oh, thank you. It is a small town. We could be in California as soon as two months. California, here we come. There's, there's lots, of, uh, lots of little odd uh, twists and turns to it. I'm a very big fan of Reservation Dogs uh, on Hulu. It's the kind of thing that uh, reminds me of the kind of movie you used to stumble into and like, oh my God, what is this? This is, yeah. uh, this is so uh, unusual. This is so uh, quirky. Quirky, you know, there's a bad word, but <laughs> quirky in the best sense. So I recommend- What, what you're talking about in part, Arch, is just hearing voices and, and stories that we haven't been able to hear before, you know, right. and just, just the opportunity right. to hear something new. It's what we starve for, right, as critics you know, the, uh, something new. And, um, and the, the fact is, you know, TV is ahead of this conversation more than uh -huh. movies, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're mm -hmm. much better at, at, at telling diverse stories uh, than, than movies have been. Uh, so it's something that the movies have to improve on, you know, in this sort of cultural conversation. But thanks for the recommendation, Arch. It sounds terrific. Yeah, Reservation I, I Dogs. Now, Reservation Dog, isn't it? Um, it's on Hulu, but isn't it uh, co-created by, I always- FX. Uh, yeah, yeah, Taika yeah. Waititi, the guy, the, uh, yes, the yes. Jojo Rabbit Oscar winner. Yes, yes. the Jojo and, uh, Rabbit guy and uh, and a uh, an indigenous uh, a Native American writer. So two people are together on it, and it's you know I'm glad you brought him up because it's like Jojo Rabbit. It's that that odd uh, out of nowhere uh, storytelling that's just great. Well, when you were describing it, it kind of reminded me of his earlier film, also very quirky, Hunt for the Wilder People, uh -huh, um, uh -huh. which was just yeah. awesome, wonderfully weird. <laughs> I did see the other day that the demographics of movies uh, really are younger and younger, and the box office is now at about 50% of what it was in 2019. And, uh, you know, I, I read those things, and they just kind of, oh, ouch, oh, uh, I don't know. Although I haven't been inside a movie theater in a while, I'm about to take the plunge. What, which movie are you going to finally break the streak on? I think I'm going to go down to the Avalon and see either Respect or the documentary on uh, Alvin Ailey. Ah, and, well, you know, I'll be helping the Avalon out and it shouldn't be crowded. I reviewed the Alvin Ailey documentary coming out yeah. of Sundance, and I just loved uh -huh. it. Uh, yeah. It really moved me deeply. Uh, so um, I, I can't recommend that high, high enough. But, you know, this week, uh, you're good. You're, you're, it's lucky you're outside of the front lines these days, Arch, because this week I was in a mall movie theater to review Don't Breathe 2. <laughs> um, the title could not be any more tone deaf yeah. with the band. <laughs> Well, and what's so funny is that it's this whole uh, dance, right? This whole kind of wrestling around of how do you judge like entertainment and risk, right? Uh -huh, uh, and, uh -huh. and how you balance those things out, which is not necessarily a conversation that critics should be having in their right. head. You know, it, yeah. it, you should be comparing it to other horror movies or, you know, uh, or, uh, but, but the context that we all live in is, you know, 
is this virus worthy? It's like the old, uh, it's like Elaine from Seinfeld. Uh, yes, yes. Sponge what writing. is virus yeah, worthy? Yeah, is this, is this movie virus worthy? Uh, I, I am seeing, I, I don't know about you, Jason, but uh, are you seeing the, the new Marvel uh, this week um, uh, or next week, the uh, uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the, Seven, of the Ten Rings? So um, <laughs> it ties right into this conversation. Um, I have not ventured out into a theater yet either. I've been reviewing only uh, streaming uh, things we get links to, and they are not providing a link for that. I'm start For a while, we got links to everything in the thick of the pandemic, and now it's... Uh, you're starting to get it's probably 50 50 and where they say you know we're not providing uh screeners for this you must go out and i haven't i haven't um, been out to a theater yet so i've had to get creative in my selection of what i'm reviewing these days well you know here in washington the screenings uh many of them are at tyson's corner virginia which is about i don't know 100 miles <laughs> from where i am and 200 from where <laughs> Jason is uh, now it's a long way out uh, and uh, a seven o'clock screening in bumper to bumper traffic. Have you seen it, Oliver? What uh, theater uh, do they show films in in Los Angeles? Well, that's Disney. I assume it's going to be the Disney theater on the Disney lot, but they haven't sent mm. the, the, the theater yet. Um, so uh, so it's it's hard to say. But... Well, that's not as bad as going to the mall, is it? No, no. And um, but, you know, the but malls, you have you been to the mall recently? You know, there, it's, <laughs> yeah. such a, it's yeah. like going to a, a, a battlefield, right? It's like it feels like it was a, um, a testament to some world that we that we left behind. Uh, all of the stores are empty and everything is closed down and none of the restaurants are open. It's a it's a creepy place to be to go in a mall. Everything right now about going to the movies is um, is creepy and more terrifying than Don't Breathe too. <laughs> I did notice that Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar is now streaming for free on, I think, Hulu. And I watched it. And I wished I could have seen it in a theater to hear an audience scream at the silliness of it. And... Uh, I wouldn't say it's by any means great, but but I love the silliness. This is Kristen Wiig and uh, her writing partner, Annie Mumolo. I'm Star, short for Starbra. I assume yours is Barbara. Nope, just Barb, plain old Barb. They're fused and living together and they're middle-aged women and they go to Miami and have a vacation. And uh, and it's very much, a, 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 you know, it's a scream. Either either of you uh, seen that? Oh yeah, I uh, I loved it. Uh, the whole family did, and you're absolutely right. Our our uh, laughing exactly. with the crowd at stuff that you all kind of know is dumb, you know, and you yeah. all kind of share this moment of. Were um, you in a theater or at home? No, I was at home. Uh, Hollywood and movies have had a comedy problem for a while. You know, yeah. we haven't had those yeah. dumb, silly you know, like what we had in our youth with Police Academy or the airplane movies, you know, Top just, Gun. Yeah, well, Top Gun. What was Gun. the last big cultural phenomenon on Hangover? That's been over 10 years ago. Right. Like, what right. was the last Bridesmaids. big Bridesmaids. hilarious comedy? Bridesmaids, yeah. Bridesmaids. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Barb and Star, those are yeah. the bridesmaid uh, yeah. uh, creators. But it was uh, it was just fun to be, to, to see something so ridiculous. And also... I might add, you know, woman driven with women creatives uh, being being silly because normally yeah, it's guys yeah. that get carte blanche to do that. So if again, you know, as critics that like to look and find new stuff, 
it was neat that that was fun too it had a tortured release i think it uh, was supposed to come out a year ago and they delayed it and then they opened it theaters nobody went now they're dropping it people are kind of discovering it as they go along that's a shame yeah. yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, uh, Arch, you know, you're mentioning that comedy, and then Oliver, you mentioned Don't Breathe 2, a horror movie. Those are like the two genres that you want to see in a crowded theater, and you just can't right yeah. now. I mean, I yeah. guess Palm Springs, I, you know, streamed last year, and that was hilarious at home, so I guess it can work, um, but then Don't Breathe 2, I don't know if I'm going to risk to go see. I mean, the original was, it was a decent <laughs> premise, what, it was like a blind guy, they break in his house, but I just, re- we watched it at a, we have a fraily fright fest every Halloween, oh, and and we watched it and i remember there was a, there was a scene later in that movie with a turkey baster that we we were like all right i'm i'm out this is ridiculous yeah. <laughs> i think it lost a lot of people with the turkey baster <laughs> spoiler alert uh, what was see- it they said will there be a sequel oh don't hold your breath <laughs> right yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't breathe too kind of plays like uh, an extended uh, riff on the frankenstein meets the little girl scene uh Uh and by the little girl you know it's it's sort of like basically that stretched out to a movie with a lot of like um arms being chopped off and things being jammed through guys bodies that kind of stuff when boris karloff chucks her in the water (laughs) yeah exactly yeah yeah remember and they they cut that scene for television uh in the original television releases and then they added it uh later on when uh those of us who watched those things in our youth grew up. Well, Arch, I remember you said you grew up watching a lot of those Universal Monster movies, right? Yeah, the, and how, I, how lucky that Frankenstein and Dracula came out this that same year, thirty one, right? <laughs> yeah, but now let me let me say that it was when they released them to television. <laughs> yeah, in the late 50s that i oh, discovered you caught them later uh, those you know, uh, were all uh, all played all day on saturday uh on channel 20 uh, uh when i was a kid you know uh and uh, i i became i loved the universal monster movies all in t- uh, all because of channel 20 not because of a movie theater uh you know count gores uh from channel 20 uh still uh until recently was hosting movies at the afi and he hosted a screening of the original Frankenstein. And, and actually, it's quite a good movie. Karloff's yeah. acting is really, uh, you know, there's a scene where the monster is shown sunlight for the first time. And he's like, oh, it's, it's beautiful acting. It's uh, it, it, to- it totally holds up. And it's one yeah. of those things, you know, you, you think back because of Halloween masks and everything that he that the monster's going to be the villain, but you watch it and you sort of feel, feel bad for him. So, uh, you know, the whole kill the beast with torches, you kind of feel bad for the guy, but um, I'm curious, did you guys see young Frankenstein before or after the original Frankenstein? (laughs) Young Frankenstein is actually almost a scene by scene recreation of son of Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. Oh, so um, that a give? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's funny. I I, there have been a lot of moments in this last year and a half where uh, I, just like you, and just like everyone else, have just felt moments of supreme uh, despondence and sadness about the state of things. And when I feel those Mm -hmm. moments, I can go to YouTube and watch putting on the Ritz 
from uh, Young Frankenstein, <laughs> and I'm in a completely different yes. mood, you know, yes. and it's not really, or the Gene Hackman scene, where, uh, you know, speaking of blind men, uh, mm -hmm. you know, um, I can watch either of those scenes and I am a different elevated person than I was, <laughs> right? And, um, and just to fully complete our random tangent, did, didn't you know that uh, Aerosmith's Walk This Way was inspired by that movie? They were watching really? it. Going, they, seriously, <laughs> they, were watching, they were watching uh -huh. Igor do his little thing where he says, oh no, walk this way. And I think, I'm pretty sure, look it up, I'm pretty sure that inspired the title of that song. That's Ooh. an ultimate Cliff Clavin moment for you there, Jason. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was very impressive. I had a little experience that does uh, kind of speak to our time. And it is on PBS. I discovered uh, a pretty good documentary on Jesse, Jesse Owens, which I watched. And after I watched it, I thought, well, well, let me fish around here. And I pulled out Lenny Reffenstahl's Olympia, wow. the movie she made of the 1936 Olympics where Jesse Owens ran. And then I thought, you know, I remember a movie about Lenny Reffenstahl's life. The wonderful, terrible life of Lenny Reffenstahl. So I fished around some more and I got that. And, you know, our new world is not all bad. Yeah. Oh, oh I, the, the fact that you can access all of that. Great. And she, right. Lenny, she, that is, man, talk about one of those really hard to hold two things in your head simultaneously right you know, yeah. for the, on the one hand she's this pioneering female filmmaker in the 30s <laughs> long before i mean we've still only had what two women directors win the oscar mm -hmm. I mean, here she was mm -hmm. doing the 30s but it was for the nazis and propaganda <laughs> and triumph of the will is basically you know like griffith's birth of a nation so it's, it's yeah it's similar to dw griffith you kind of have to like try to <laughs> have you ever seen that. that the wonderful horrible life of lenny reffenstahl they interviewed her late in her life in her 90s and she had turned to underwater photography and they went underwater with her and they asked her about all the nazi movies and she would get mad and and uh look it up sometime it's yeah it's that just sounds like my kind of movie <laughs> no seriously uh i mean i love movies about artists in conflict right you know uh and artists in politics and and uh and these types of questions you know and of course i'm somewhat of an uh of an addict of the uh, olympics documentaries that are all on uh -huh. the Hyperion channel and I, I watch them all and um and in a, you know that's one of the best ones. The the um, oh, it's... from 1968 is a really great one. And then uh, probably the most watched one in my house, and one that I can most highly recommend, is a movie called White Rock, uh, which stars James Coburn, who uh, not only hosts it but does all of the events in it. He goes bobsledding and plays hockey, oh. uh, <laughs> and it's also it's beautifully shot with a rock soundtrack from uh, one of the guys from Yes. Uh, oh but, my goodness! Uh, search this movie out. Uh, you'll be mesmerized by it. It's from the Austrian Olympics from from '76. <laughs> wow, I have I to see that. Did, didn't yeah, they, they really um, do? I have Speak to. I love that. But uh, the didn't they do a feature film like a narrative on the Jesse Owens called Race a couple years ago with the guy Stefan James who went on to do right. He could talk with Barry Jenkins. Um, and I remember in that movie they had Lenny Riefenstahl as a character and sort of painted, mm -hmm. try, they tried to paint her in a little bit of a more positive light. I remember at the time I was like, well, that's sort of artistic license a little, but they, they, in that movie, they tried to show her as like with her shot selection, um, making Jesse Owens, the, you know, this African-American sprinter 
shattering Hitler's ridiculous myth of a superior race just left Hitler in the dust. And she sort of by her shot selection, focusing on the black Jesse Owens, um, they tried to say it was like a subversive thing against the Nazis. I, oh, I don't know how, how uh, accurate that is, but interesting. Well, in the, the documentary I saw on her life, she talks about how they dug pits and, uh, and, you know, all the various cameras they had. And, and she was the, the knock on Olympia is that it's, uh, it's a celebration of the body beautiful. And uh, if you don't have a, and so Jesse Owens was of course a beautiful uh, athlete, but if you're fat and dumpy in Nazi Germany, right. <laughs> watch out. And right. on that note, I think we should bring in Mr. Lou Katz <laughs> to tell us about our enabler pound radio that's what that's one of the possible that's one of the smoothest segues art you've never done in your entire career <laughs> anyway we have a brand new feature if you're a lover of four-legged felines and you're going to hear all about it right now here from hound radio hound radio now provides equal time to our feline loving friends Welcome to Cat Corner with Lisa Sinrod. Typical cat behaviors are purring, grooming, kneading, and climbing. Purring is the most common sound made by cats, and it is often soothing for both the animal and their human. Most cats are neatniks and spend up to 50% of their awake time grooming themselves. Grooming helps keep the cat's skin healthy and protects their fur. Kneading, also referred to as making biscuits, is common to all domestic cats and is where they push out and pull in their front paws, often alternating between right and left limbs. Since climbing is normal behavior for a cat and you don't want your kitty climbing the drapes, it's good to provide a more acceptable option such as a sturdy multi-perched cat tree. If you are looking for affection from your cat, subtle signs like a slow blink signal a cat's love for a human and a human can return some slow blinks to try to convey the same to their feline. Next week, we will discuss your cat's amazing sense of smell. I'm Lisa Sinrod for Hound Radio. So, uh, Oliver, uh, having you with us all the way from L.A. Uh, gives us a chance to catch up with how are things out there? What are you hearing about the entertainment business? I mean, we're kind of dancing around that today anyway. It's just, you know, you can smell the fear, Arch. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, I mean, uh, it's just, we, you know, this is it, but it's also an era of, you know, excitement in the respect that there, that, that we're still in uh, a surge of, of new shows and of, of, of content being needed in all corners. But this change, you know, the, the Scarlett Johansson situation, right, uh, with, with Disney and Charlotte Johansson, really marks a kind of demarcation point right now, you know? And, um, and it also, I think, marks a demarcation point for the, this, this Marvel ride that we've all been on for these, for these last few years, because it feels like a breaking of the ranks. You know, I think we all wondered, you know, before Thanos snapped his fingers, you know, who is the great villain in the Marvel universe? None of them seemed that cool or that great. Uh, and now it looks like maybe it's Disney. Uh, you know, um, and, and suddenly, uh, and, and also I think we were all a little stunned by the quietness, but from, from her co-stars, uh, uh, you know, it didn't seem like the support was, was there. 
and 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 it felt like the the pushback from Disney it felt unwarranted and a little strong and 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 I think most people thought it smelled a little bit like I don't think they would necessarily have treated a, a male star who was demanding their contract wow. be um, signed in the same way that they would uh, one who is not male. At least if it feels that way a little bit. What do you think, Jason? I think it's a total turning point because wasn't it shortly after that that they announced that the the upcoming one isn't going to be on Disney Plus, the next one? Right. I think it was after that that lawsuit. So I, I, I think that it's a total game changer. And, and yet, like you're saying, this Marvel ride, great, great, great phrasing. Only Oliver Jones can do that. <laughs> um, that Marvel ride we've been on uh, for the last year and a half um, or longer, really, right. um, is probably coming to an end. But funny you mentioned Thanos. I was reflecting on this the other day is um, isn't it's wild that pre-COVID that was like one of their last big ones, you know, that two part finale. Yeah. Um, uh, the whole entire population van, a bunch of thousands vanishing uh, was uh, eerie, eerily prescient. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, again, you know, I guess that would be another example, Jason, of movies being able to sort of um, chart our fears, chart our mythologies, chart, you know, like a, like an example of um, of that. And, and, and in some respects, you know, the entire Marvel run of movies has been a comment on on 9-11 uh, and just how the world just changed on a on a dash, you mm -hmm. know, uh, as a result of the events of 9-11. And, and, you know, it, it sort of brilliantly concluded that concept, you know, uh, with, those, with those last films. And then, you know, in some way, the, the world did it. It changed in some dramatic way. And now, and now as they start back up again, we're in a different world. They're not quite adjusting. They're sort of adjusting. They're trying to adjust. They're trying to figure out. They're trying to acknowledge. Often, uh, it feels like with these movies, you know, especially in the case of the new Marvel and, and in the case of the horror movie I saw last week, Don't Breathe, you know, where they did not make it, uh, they didn't send out screeners to, um, to critics. Uh, it feels like we're, you know, movies feel like cheese in the middle of a mousetrap right now you know they feel like, uh, you know, rather than something to sort of thrill us and to create our, our future stories, right? They seem like someone to sort of like trick us into going to a place that we probably shouldn't, which is a movie theater during a time when we haven't gotten in control of this Delta variant. Ooh, well, now, a couple Jack, of weeks geez, ago, I'm gonna go see Jackass 4. <laughs> Bob Mondello of NPR was on uh, uh, this broadcast uh, a few weeks ago, and he uh, came to the defense of movie theaters saying, uh, you know, go to a matinee, uh, try not to, you know, they, people are facing the same way. <laughs> don't sneeze on anybody. Yeah. <laughs> no, That's the other horror movie, uh, don't sneeze. Yeah, yeah oh, don't God. sneeze. Yeah, don't cough. Uh, don't <laughs> take don't off. Don't look down at your How many theaters have you been in where there were mice? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, it's funny, you know, we would uh, just bring this all the way around. We were talking about um, uh, Field of Dreams and the, and the baseball event that we all saw this week. And I remember it was uh, Balcony, second row back at the Uptown Theater uh, uh -huh. next to my mom. We walked there from Adams Morgan. Uh, you yeah. know, you just yeah. moved, you know, and uh, I can recall my seat number. I can, re I can recall the mm -hmm. angle, you know, and like, um, uh, I never knew that that would mean so much to me, right? You know, uh, that uh, now the, the uptown is gone and now kind of movie theaters are a little bit 
on the teetering path and certainly our experience in balconies. We hardly ever get to the balcony anymore. No. Um, no. So it was interesting. It, it was fascinating that that movie of that that baseball game uh, dropped this this week while we're all in the muck struggling around with this question, you know. It's it's yeah. an interesting ball of culture and and film history and yeah. sport and the rest. It's time for flashbacks and favorites. We do a little thing on this called flashbacks and favorites, which uh, Jen Cheney uh, invented. And uh, since I mentioned some documentaries, I want to ask uh, both of you: What's the last documentary you watched that you really liked? Wow. I mean, right. The can it's been a couple years ago. The first two that just came to my mind were Ava DuVernay's 13th and then the I Am Not Your Negro. I remember they, I think they came out the same year and that those, mm. those knocked me out in terms of just educating us. Actually, there was one in a couple months ago about, uh, I think it was called Tulsa. What was it called? Tulsa and the Red Summer or something like that, where mm. we're all learning yeah. about this, these atrocities that we didn't even, were never even taught in our, our textbooks. About um, the same time the Watchmen came out. Right. Yeah. Oh, boys. How about boys state? That was amazing last year. There you go. Underrated. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, uh, what I, have you watched? I teach, uh, I teach film criticism and I've been teaching it now for two and a half years. And, um, and one of the films that I've had on my syllabus that I watch every uh, twice a year is uh, David Francis, how to survive a plague, which is about um, act, up, um, act ups response to the AIDS crisis. And uh, it's a movie that every, I mean, it's a very thrilling movie because it kind of, it, it sort of is almost structured like, um, it's almost structured like Harry Potter, right? Where all of the smart kids, you know, don't listen to the adults who, who try to pretend like the problem isn't real and all band together and find a solution for themselves and literally save the world, right? And, it, and it's also, you know, you, you, you mourn over all the incredible talent that we lost uh, to the AIDS crisis, but also, you marvel at our ability to band together of un of people who are not the same, who have differing opinions, who fight, who argue, who are obnoxious, like Larry Kramer, you know, uh, but still uh, get things done and and probably did one of the greatest things, uh, you know, that's ever been done in science in in uh, in finding uh, treatments for helping to find treatments, and also it features a very uh, young and dashing Dr. Fauci. Wow, the chance to see his early work. You know, before he got, before he got big. <laughs> so we're wrapping up here. I think that the clock is uh, ticking away. Uh, what are your recommendations for this weekend? I definitely and say Coda if you haven't seen it on Apple TV. Coda. Coda Oliver, on Apple Oliver's TV. point. Yeah, it's it's got it's a heart tugger. Um, it's it's not a too too much of a heady acid trippy uh, indie or anything. But I, I I think there's nothing wrong with it. It's what you you mentioned the 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 movies and field of dreams. You know what I mean? Like some some heart tuggers used to win Best Picture. Why not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I I just sent my daughter off to um uh high school. High today. school. She's going yeah. to a a performing arts high school which shocked oh. me uh so i will definitely be watching that movie uh with my daughter this week you know as a kind of reminder of what uh -huh. the arts are and what it can do and these types of of things that are, you know are important to my life historically and i think are important to all of our lives you know that that arts are essential and arch how about you and i'm gonna say reservation dogs and keep in mind that one again is on hulu we hope you enjoyed our podcast. A special thanks going out to WTOP Radio's entertainment reporter and editor Jason Fraley and L.A.-based entertainment reporter and D.C. native 
Oliver Jones. We'll be back in two weeks. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. This is the Cats Podcasting System, where it's not just a podcast, but a podcast.